Would you join me this morning in Romans chapter 1? Romans chapter 1, this will be our third uh, time going into this book. Romans chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to go straight on into this. What you see on the screen is half of the text. We will have eight verses will be our text today. But if you have your Bible, go ahead and have your Bible open in front of you. My daughter is, is really good at, if you ever see these like games, it could be a screen or a picture, then it may have like 15 rows, 10 wide of these little icons and you have to find the matching little icons. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Oh, there, that one and that one. You've got to circle and match those. And the matching game, if you ever played that with all the cards laid out and you turn them over and you flip and you flip, oh, no match. And You've got to remember where that. She's really good at that. And so she probably will pick this up uh, very quickly. I don't know if she's even in here, but uh, here's your assignment. Before I read the text, if you've got the whole thing in front of you, verses 8 through 15, that'll be our text today. Go ahead and let your eyes look over the page. Verses 8 through 15. There is a word that is used over and over. In fact, every verse of the eight verses, with the exception of verse number 12, has this word in it. It doesn't have to be a big word. Who has already spotted a word that is used 11 times in the text? Cindy must be pretty good at this. Anybody? doesn't have to be big. I heard it. The word I. 11 times in eight verses I, I, those of you been here for the last two weeks, who is I? Paul, the Apostle Paul is writing this. This is to me a lot like Romans chapter 7 in that it's a very personal type, very personal set of scripture and it's going to kind of expose his heart to us. Now one thing I thought, this dawned on me the other day, it hit me like, Jeff, listen, this is the third time you've gone over this. We spent half of a message two weeks ago introducing the book of Romans, and then we looked at verse number one. All three points started with Paul, Paul a servant, Paul a, 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 set of, a sent one, Paul a set apart one. Last week we had four points, half of those started with Paul, Paul this, Paul that. Today's message, all three points start with the, with the word Paul. And I thought, you know what, people can really get misconstrued by thinking that it's about Paul. So let me tell you this. It is not about Paul. Paul is just a servant. He's just a servant. That's, what, that's the first thing he wants us to know. Though we want to see some things about Paul as a servant. So here, if I could say this. I am, by doing this outline, this is the outline that fits this text. I believe if I read it 50 times, which I may have this week. If you read it 50 times, you'd say this is kind of the main things that are going on. In fact, in a moment when we read the text, I want you before we ever get there to think, what are the main themes that's coming out in these eight verses? So though we're going to say some things about Paul, it is only so far as he's an example of a man who is following Christ, then we follow him following Christ. So it isn't about Paul, it's about his Lord and the truth that he represents and the life he lived following Christ. Same thing we just said about Susan Walker. And so with that in mind, I don't normally do this because you guys have been, usually we go right after a song, and so I don't do this. Uh, it's not like a, uh, we're more godly by standing when we read. I have a practical reason. I want the blood to flow for a minute because you've been sitting. So let's stand this morning. Normally we don't do that, but uh, this will be great for us. And uh, so let's, I'm going to read verses 8 through 15. And as I do this, I'm going to invite you. In fact, I need to switch a couple of things. Yeah. I'm going to invite you as we read to be thinking, if you were up here, what would you be saying are the main thoughts from our text? And by the way, we cannot possibly hit every phrase. Verse number 8. Paul says, first, 
to the Roman church. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. All the Roman world. He doesn't mean literally around the globe. The world that they knew, the western world of the Roman Empire. Man, they, everybody knows about your faith. For God is my witness. Do not call God to be your witness, ladies and gentlemen, unless what you're going to say is true. And he's not bragging, he's just saying this is a fact. God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. God is my witness that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. Now, Paul here does not tell us exactly what his prayer was, but if Ephesians, Thessalonians, Colossians, and Philippians gives us any indication, it was a very spiritual prayer. But he kind of gives us a hint. He says, without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Hear it. God, please, Lord, let me go to Rome. I want to go to Rome, Lord. Please, work it out. Verse 11. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers. And literally, the word there, brothers could literally be written brothers and sisters. I do not want you to be unaware. I don't want you to be ignorant. I'm telling you the truth. I want you to let you know, let you know something about me, brothers and sisters, that I have often intended to come to you. I'm just going. Paul, what are you doing? Packing up? Where are you going? Next week I'm going to Rome. Oh, really? You're finally going to do it? Yes. And then in a parenthetical statement he says, but thus far have been prevented. So verse 13 again. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I've been often, I've often intended to come to you in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Why? I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel. To you also who are in Rome. And then next week we actually get into what he has to say about the gospel itself. This week you see your title. Paul being Paul, the personal touch. Eleven times, I, 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 me, my, mine. He's just sharing his heart with the Roman church. Thank you. you may be seated. I don't know if you noticed verse number eight. By way of introduction, Paul says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. You guys are well known. You are world famous. What Paul is saying is when people hear about Rome and the Roman church, the word is on the street, you guys are very famous. There's a buzz about what's going on in Rome because of your faith. Guys, you know a lot of churches, some churches are famous for how large they are, some for how fancy and nice their building and their campus is. Others are known for their standards. Some are known for their choir. The Roman church was known for their great, great faith. So great that apparently it caused an uproar with the Jews who served the same God. And you guys are talking about Jehovah God just like we do. But you're talking about the Christ has already come. Yes, he has, the Christians would say. And there was this big clash so much so that literally the, the emperor of the Roman Empire 
causes all the Jews to be kicked out of Rome in A.D. 49. That's how powerful and well-known their faith was. As Paul writes this probably eight or nine years after that event. Think around the world. Have you guys ever heard of some churches around the world that have great faith? On offer three countries to you. China, the church in China. You say, dude, we here in America, we do Christianity better than anybody else. I don't think so. We may know more things doctrinally, but I'm telling you, the church in China has great, great faith. The church in Russia, particularly when it was under the Soviet Union, great faith. And the church in the Philippines has great faith. We need to catch up with them. Over in the Philippines, when they say they're going to have an all-night prayer meeting, they don't mean prayer meeting until 11.30 and then soup till midnight and call it all-night prayer meeting. They'd like mean, we're going to pray till we go to church, go to work tomorrow. They have great, great faith. Here's my question. Paul says, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world, you're so well known for your faith. Here's my question, Grace View. What are we known for in our community? What's our reputation? Prospective pastors who are thinking about a ministry are encouraged by other pastors. Hey, before you pick your family up several states away and move over there and, and agree to be the pastor, you would probably be wise to not only visit the church and go to the services and meet with the leadership, go to just random gas stations and restaurants and stores around the area and say, hey, hey what do you know about such and such church? And get the feel of the reputation of the community. What's our reputation? What has our reputation been? I want to ask you a couple questions. Here's one. Which is worse, a bad reputation or no reputation at all? Well, the church won't know. Yeah, the church such as a, oh, yeah, no, no, those people are terrible. Oh, those people are always, you know, banging on my door or pushing their doctrine down my throat. Oh, okay, okay, I can tell you're a little worked up about that church. Or, hey, tell me about the church. Which one? You know, the one that's about 700 yards from here. Which direction? Uh, That way. Okay, how long have you worked at this store? Oh, I'm new. I've only been here six years. What do you know about? Oh. I can't really say I haven't heard. Hey, Grace, if you listen to me, what do you want it to be? Furthermore, what does God want it to be? That's the key. God, what do you want our reputation to be? Then let's make that the reputation that we get. Three things I want us to notice this morning. Number one, is Paul a model of prayer? I don't know if you picked that. How many of you, be honest, be honest, how many of you thought, I've kind of sensed a theme of prayer in this text. Anybody raise your hand? I know we only read it once. I see a few not wanting to brag. Like, yeah, I kind of saw that. First thing we want to talk about this morning is Paul, a model of prayer. This is key. This is key. The Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write this book of Scripture. I had a talk with a, man, a young man yesterday, and we were talking about who wrote the Bible. Did God write it? Did men write it? And here's the key. The Holy Spirit tells Paul what to write, but in every book that a human author, some 40 human authors, every time they write, their personality can very clearly be seen in the text. And so here's, here's the thought I want to get across. The Holy Spirit is telling Paul what to write so that it ends up God's authoritative word, but Paul is the one, the instrument that God is using, and it is so clear in this text that Paul is essentially a man of prayer. I really believe this. I don't think Paul set out and thought, okay, first thing, here's how to pray. 
These are one, two, three, four things about prayer. That is not what happened here. Paul is so essentially a man of prayer that he just naturally starts talking about his heart for the Roman church and prayer just oozes out of him everywhere. Very matter-of-factly, I pray for you all the time and I do this and this and it's in this and with this and in this name and all of these things. That's how he prays. I've shared some of these thoughts on Wednesday nights back in August, September, October. Now, remember liking it to a golfer. I know a lot of you weren't there. But golfers, the good ones, go over fundamentals all the time. They're constantly, even the best of the best, before they ever hit the golf ball, they line up and they, get, they do a visual and they're getting a thing lined up here and they go up and they get their stance right and they, and they get their grip right. And I'm not a good golfer and I don't know what I'm talking about here because I'm just bad. But the good ones are constantly going over their fundamentals. Here's what I thought. I read this this week and I thought, did Paul constantly check himself on the fundamentals of prayer? I believe he did. And with that in mind, Christian, I want you right now as we go through this text, I'm going to kind of go in the order that they arrive in, that they appear in the text. And as each one of these things come up, honestly check yourself, is that how I pray? Notice verse number 8. Paul says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. Very first thing right off the bat, prayer is through Jesus Christ. Look at you have these references in front of you. We're not going to turn to all of them, but I hope you will take a a moment and look them up uh, just to double check me. I'm not taking them out of context at all. But Paul is a a model of prayer. And the first thing, do we have that uh, screen? Prayer is through Jesus Christ. Now notice John chapter 14. Verse number 13 and 14. We'll not turn there, but notice what what Jesus says. Whatever you ask in my name. So let's learn. Let's check our fundamentals. Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do. So Jesus says, you will ask in my name. I will do it that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So it's all about the Father being glorified. I'm going to pull it off. I'm going to actually do it. The Father's going to give the okay. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Hey, Christians, I want to very, just very quickly encourage you, before you pray, and this is at the beginning, you say, yeah, I hear Christians say in Jesus' name a lot, and they kind of do it at the end. It, it is not a magical stamp that we put on our prayer that ensures that it gets there. Literally, Christian fundamentals, slow down before you pray and literally stop and say, now, Lord, I'm on purpose stopping. I'm slowing down. I'm able to talk to you because of what Jesus did on the cross. He's taken all my sins away. I am a sinner. I have a life that has plenty of evidence of sin, but because of what he did on the cross, there is no proof. Forensics are clean. I'm forensically clean. I am able to talk to you. Lord, you're letting me enter into the very throne room of the universe. So slow down and pray in Christ's name. Second thought, quickly, Paul says, first, I thank my God. Who is prayer to? It is to the Father. Prayer is to God the Father. Notice John chapter 16, verse number 23 and 24. Again, Jesus is teaching us. Jesus says, in that day, he's telling his disciples, I'm leaving. Let's just be taught by Christ this morning. In that day, you will ask me nothing. Now, I need to clarify. Jeff, are you saying that you don't ever talk to Jesus or to the Holy Spirit? I talk to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I've done that literally sitting here a while ago. Talk to both. But the predominant focus of prayer is what this verse says. Jesus says, in that day, you're not going to ask me for things. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it you. Now, we know the other passage. Jesus says, I'll be performing it, but he gives it. He okays it. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy might be full. Verse number 8 continues. First, I thank my God. Prayer always includes, should always include thankfulness. 
Philippians chapter 4, verse number 6. Notice what the Bible says. Do not, here's a great passage on prayer. These are the fundamentals. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving. Hey guys, God's not Santa Claus, right? You, you know what the picture? You get over there and you sit there and you smile. And they don't want to be in Santa Claus' lap. So here's this poor man. I don't know how young kids we've got in here. Okay, Here's this poor man. He gets kicked. His beard gets pulled. He gets cried on. But he gets asked for things. And then off the little kid goes after, give me, give me, give me. And then away he goes, you don't even like me, but you want me to give you things. Right. And away he goes. Sometimes that's what we do with the Lord. Never stopping to say, Lord, thank you for that and that and that. I haven't even asked you for anything. I'm doing all these things with thanksgiving. Romans chapter 9. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit. Very quickly, prayer, real prayer, is spiritual. I'm not trying to be mean, but there are some people who think it's about rubbing beads. You've got to rub beads. Or it's a direction that you pray. Or you have to be on your knees to really be praying, and your eyes have to be closed. Uh, I watched the inauguration the other day, and I saw whose eyes were open and whose eyes were not closed. Whose eyes were closed, and and some comments were made in our house. And I kind of told my family, I said, "Well, I think President Trump is a little bit from the old school my dad goes goes from when it comes to prayer." My dad says, "Yeah, watch and pray. <laughs> watch and pray." So, but listen, it's spiritual. I can take you to passages. Paul literally gets on his knees, but whether you're on your knees or not, is your spirit engaged? Prayer spiritual, very quickly, verse 9 and 10. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel, that without ceasing I, may, I make mention, I mention you always in my prayers. Prayer includes intercession. Don't just ask things for ourselves, but constantly be praying for others. You see 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Paul tells the church at Ephesians and, and Timothy as the pastor there, he says, Timothy, first of all then, I urge that supplications because we lack, that's going to be a very fervent prayer, prayers, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Can again, not to just harp on anything. Is it pretty evident, guys, our country needs prayer? And let me tell you something, uh, good old conservative southern Christians, shame on us if we didn't pray for the previous president. But it's already very evident to me, our president needs some serious prayer. I don't know if he knows how to talk to God or not, but we need to be lifting him up in prayer. Intercession. Verse 10 again, always in my prayers asking. Prayer involves asking probably a prayer that I pray about every day in some form is James, probably the main one I pray, James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask ask God James chapter 4 verse number 2 you desire but do not have so you murder, we do our own little attempt to make things happen the way we want them to the Bible, James says you covet and cannot obtain so you fight and quarrel you do not have because you do not ask, prayer is about asking that's literally what the word prayer means verse 10 continues Paul says, always in, in, in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Lord, let me not just plan on it. Let me arrive there. What do we learn? Prayer must be specific. Prayer specifically asking. Hey, Christian, as you write that word, I want to ask you a question. All your prayers this week, 
what did you ask for? You say, well, I kind of went in my prayer time and I prayed in Jesus. I became aware that God's right there and I brought some items up and then I started thinking about the things that I was getting ready to talk to God about. Right. Did you ever verbalize a request? You say, well, when it, I didn't actually verbalize a request. Duh, what's wrong with me? I didn't actually spell it out. Ask specifically. And in verse number 10, asking that somehow, King James that I grew up with said, if by any means, somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Verse number 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you in order that I may reap some harvest among you. But in the middle of that, he says, but thus far I've been prevented. So here's a lesson for us. Prayer includes surrender. Guys, I, I want to challenge you. Go home. Get this out. Take it tomorrow morning in your prayer time. Take it out. Go one by one. Am I praying in Jesus' name? Am I praying to the Father? Is my spirit engaged? Am I literally asking for things? Am I praying just for me? Or am I praying for other people? Am I expressing thanks before asking God to give me more new things? Lord, thank you for that. Am I surrendered to the will of God? Notice James chapter 4, verse number 3. You ask, okay, some don't ask, but now you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So it's surrendering our will to the Lord's will. 1 John 5, notice this passage. John says, this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Another question, I love questions. Think, what's the last prayer request you've had answered? Literally. I kind of know two or three of mine, the most recent. Do you have one? What's the last two or three? Go through your mind. What's the last specific? I spelled it out. I actually did ask it. I asked for a very specific thing, and the Lord granted that. If you're sitting there right now, Christian, saying, I cannot come up with a recent answered prayer request. I'm going back months. One of two problems. Either you haven't been praying, you haven't been specifically asking, or... Stop going against the will of God. I want to give you the secret to getting your prayers answered. Ask God to do what he already wants to do. And we hear that and our human mind says, well, then what's the point? God's sovereign. What's going to happen is going to happen. He's already allowed and ordained and all of those things. So sovereignty. Why does he even ask us to pray? I don't know. All I know is he says, pray prayers for me to align my will with God's will. Well, what about the things that we want done? I like to see prayer as me talking God into my plan. Wrong. You say, so we have no say whatsoever. We can't even bring our request. Look at verse 10 again. Can I offer this quickly? What about that sovereignty in humankind, our will in it all? I think there's a good blend in verse number 10. Look at it. Always in my prayers, asking that somehow, you see that? Somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed and come to you. Here's Paul's prayer request. Very simple. God, I am not demanding. But Lord, if you would allow me, I would really like to go to Rome and, and, and preach with those people and, and see some things accomplished. Lord, would you please, and notice, somehow, if by any means, how many of you, by the way, know how Paul eventually gets to Rome? Tim Haney and I talked about Tim told me last week, he says, yeah, Paul eventually gets to Rome. Anybody? How many of you know? He gets there, it's at Rome's expense, by the way, on a boat as a Roman what? Help me. He's a prisoner. <laughs> There's God's sovereignty and human will meeting together. Lord, whatever it takes, I just want to go to Rome. If you'll if you make it happen, I can make that happen. 
you will go to Rome. Your last note on that, I think, is this. Prayer involves work. Prayer involves work. Paul says, God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit. Whom I serve. God is my witness whom I serve. Again, I'm not going to re-preach some things I said back on Wednesday nights in August and September. Guys, I'm going to share my heart real quick. To me, prayer is the single hardest part of the Christian life. Here's where I struggle. I'm the only one. You're not like this. You're better than this. Unfortunately, you have a pastor that is horrible like this. But I'll go and I'll pray in Jesus' name and I'll bring God into focus and I'm aware of his presence. I'm even enjoying his presence. And I give thanksgiving and confess some sin and adore the Lord. And now it's time to make some requests. But all through the way, I'm fighting something the whole time. It's called concentration. I struggle. I mean, I fight. I mean, to where I, I, I catch myself sometimes. There's God. Hey, I'm really talking to you. There you are right now. And I'm going to mention something. A squirrel. Squirrel. Some of you are like, what does that mean? If you've ever seen the movie Up, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And most of you who are honest as Christians go, I know exactly what you're talking about. You're really praying. You're talking to God. You bring up a subject, and all of a sudden, your mind thinks about that, which makes you think of that and that. Next thing you know, oh, when God, I'm sorry. Where did I leave you? I kept talking, but I stopped talking to you about 40 seconds ago. For me, if I do 20 seconds at a time, I'm doing really good. It is hard to focus in prayer a couple more thoughts very quickly God is my witness whom I serve not on the screen Luke chapter 2 verse 37 says of Anna the prophetess that she served God with fastings and prayer night and day catch what I'm saying she served God now it can mean she served God and while she was serving God she was fasting and praying while she served God but I think it also it does mean that but it also includes this she served God by fasting and praying Here's something I've concluded As a pastor here the highest thing I do literally every week is to pray nothing outranks prayer He said man he spent a long time on his first point Nothing outranks prayer. I've concluded every minute I spend in prayer, praying for me, praying for my family, I am working for Graceview. You say, what? That doesn't count. That's you praying for you. For me to get me where I'm supposed to be and for my family. And when I start praying for folks, not only I am serving God, but I am working for Graceview. So if you come in one week, hey, Renee, is Jeff in? Actually, no, he left early and he said he's going somewhere and spending the night and he's not coming back till tomorrow. He's just said he just needs to get away and talk to God. Oh, I thought he was pastoring. Yeah, that's what he's doing. He's going to pray because nothing outranks prayer. Hey, Christian, nothing outranks prayer. Paul says, I serve God with my spirit. Colossians 3, verse number 23. Here's the verse. I know it's not on screen. Listen. Paul says, whatsoever you do, do it heartily. Paul says, I serve God with my spirit. I pray with my spirit. My spirit's engaged. Whatsoever you do, Christian, do it heartily as to the Lord, not for men, not unto men. Write this down. If our service is truly for the Lord, it'll be marked and characterized by at least two things. Number one, excellence. Number two, enthusiasm. Excellence and enthusiasm. If you're doing it, by the way, the word serve, I'm going to ask. I'm going to throw this out. I know we're a little informal here today. 
Verse number nine, Paul says, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit. Does anybody have a different word for the word serve? Or does anybody have a little notation that that word can be translated a little bit differently, a word that starts with the word letter W? Anybody have that anywhere? It can also be translated. Anybody? I thought I heard it. Uh, not just work. It's worship. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies. That's your reasonable service. That word service, literally, that's your reasonable worship. So here's, let's connect some things very quickly. When I'm praying, I'm serving God. And when I'm serving God, it counts as worship. I mentioned last week I've been in Leviticus. One of the things that I'm learning in Leviticus is when you bring something and you give it to God, give it your best. Can I challenge you that? Give your best to the Lord. Do we give our best? Some people hear that and say, yeah, you need to wear your best to church. What? It's saying... When you serve God, it is an act of worship. So however you serve, serve your best. Used to tell students when they would dribble in basketball practice. Come on, guys, it's smooth. This is speed dribble. This isn't slow dribble. Go, go, go. Move, move, move. Make the layup. Come on, it's no good if we miss the layup. Next, let's move, move. Dribble as fast as you can. And you and I'd say, bong, there goes the ball. They dribble, 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 and go I blow the whistle. Whoa, stop, stop, stop. Everybody stop. Dribble as fast as you can. Don't dribble as fast as you can't. Can we try it again? See, what does that mean? Hey, Grace View, when you serve God, do your best. Because it's an act of worship. If you sing, sing your best. If you play an instrument, Play your best. If you have a ministry of encouragement and comforting, comfort your best. If you're a greeter, be the best greeter you can be. Hey, several of us are teachers here. I teach Sunday morning, Wednesday night, and occasionally other times. If we're going to teach, let's teach our best. Right? None of us are Chip Ingram, but we're you. So don't let it just kind of be the off-throwing and kind of last-minute throw it together. Let's give God our best. Paul's essentially a man of prayer, and it was work, but it was service. It was his act of worship, and he gave God his best. Number two, very quickly, Paul was a man of purpose. Paul was a man of purpose. Have you guys ever wanted something for someone else? Have you ever wanted something for someone else? In other words, you're doing it, but while you're doing it or you're seeing it, all you can think is who would really enjoy this. Have you ever been to a restaurant and thought, I'll tell you who would really like this. We're going to bring them back here and we're going to... Have you ever done that? A couple of years ago, about this time of the year, someone that's actually here this morning <clears throat> arranged for Deanna and I to do a two-night getaway down to the beach. And it was very timely. And I remember, I don't even know if you remember this, uh, it's like nine degrees down there. It was really cold two years ago in January. Might have been February. But we went to this little joint, and I'm telling you, it's not fancy. Some of you would be like, I've been there. It's not that special. She and I went to this little joint, this little, like, subs and burger joint called Oscars up toward North Myrtle. And while, while we were there, we literally both said, we need to bring the kids here one, one time. And so, Erica, you remember going to Oscars? Yeah, you remember going to Oscars. So the next summer, we went down to Myrtle Beach and like, hey, let's ride up to Oscars. Why? Because while we're here, we need to do this. I want you guys to experience. It's like if you know someone who lives in the Midwest all their life and they've never been to the beach. You've never been to the beach? Dude, we go 
got to take them to the beach. You've got to go to the beach. You've got to sit there in the sand and the seagulls and the waves and smell the lotion and drink the soft drink, put the umbrella up, act like you're eating, fall asleep, watch the little teenage, little nine, ten-year-old boys think they can boogie board, break their neck. We've got to have fun. You've got to do this. This is not about me. <clears throat> Please get it. Basketball. Cameron, I see you over there. Hope y'all season's going well. <clears throat> I think it is. I think y'all doing pretty good. Got a good team. I started out as an assistant to the JV. Then I became the head coach of the JV. And then eventually in 2005, 2006, they let me be the varsity basketball coach. And listen, we had good players. I promise you it's not about me. But for four years in a row, the first four years I was coaching in our little sphere, we're not like the NBA, our little Christian school area, we went to four straight state championships. I'm going to tell you. 2006, we way overachieved. We ended up pulling off an upset. Thankfully, really good kid out of school in Columbia had the flu. Thankfully, he got most of the team sick. We ended up pulling off a big upset just to go to state tournament. Then we beat some pathetic team from the lower state, and then we faced the big school up in Greenville. And they waxed us by 15 points. They're just better. But guys, we got better. And we come back the next year, and we beat the big school in Greenville down here. They were twice our size, but we beat them here, and we lost up there. And we went to state tournament again, and we wiped out the lower state team again. And we're back in the championship game. And we went up by 12 points, and we got them on the ropes. And man, I'm wanting it for my guys. Man, come on, let's do this thing. And to this day, the most bitter defeat, anything to do with basketball, was that day we lost by three points and we had that thing won. A better coach, we would have won. I wanted it, man. Third year, God let us win a state championship. I was so, man, I was like, yes. I wanted it for those boys. They worked hard. I loved those boys. I remember to this day, we were actually arguing a little bit. We weren't real talking a lot that day. I don't remember why. But I remember looking over at Deanna and the look on her face. She wanted it for me. I wanted it for those boys. Said, Man, yes, we did it. Cut nets down. Dr. Will, could you get over here? You're the school. We can get up there and cut some nets down. It's fun. It's awesome. I wanted that. Look at verse number 11. For I long to see you. Why? Paul has some way better reasons for why he wants to go to Rome. See, everything that I just talked about, a great city or a restaurant or in a theme park or going to the beach or winning a championship, none of those things literally will not matter come eternity. But Paul says, I want to go to Rome because I have something important to give you. Verse number 11, he tells us the first thing. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Paul, what do you want to give us? Some spiritual gifts. I got something spiritual. Paul says, I have the gospel. I know the gospel. And I want to impart that to you. How many of you wouldn't mind at all if somebody came up and gave you a million dollars? Right? Some of you didn't raise your hand. Either you were really spiritual, very content, or very wealthy. <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't mind at all. Hey, can I give you a million? I'd love it. How many of you, like me, more when I was younger, I hadn't done this in a while, you've played the mental gymnastics of how you would spend the million dollars? Come on, raise your hand, be honest. Of course we have. Can we get some perspective? 
Let's get some values. You see in your handout, please understand, everything on this list is important. Number one, write this down. As we make some value clarification, financial gifts are wonderful. Praise the Lord when God gives financial gifts. I mentioned someone arranged for us to have a two-night getaway. It was so timely. Sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, a financial gift is an answer to prayer. Sometimes it's such an encouragement. It lets people experience. Thank you. Yeah. Sometimes it lets us experience things we otherwise never would. I think right here's my voice getting weaker and weaker. <clears throat> Thank you. Financial gifts are great. Please understand, most of us have been on both ends of that. We've received and been blessed, and we've been able to give to someone else, and we've been blessed by it. But can I tell you, write this down very quickly, physical outranks financial. Physical outranks financial. You say, I don't know about that. Somebody's going to come rake my leaves in my backyard. I'm very thankful, but if they're going to give me a million dollars, I'll take a million dollars, right? Everybody in here would count half a million dollars as a lot of money, but let me, let's, let's get some clarity. If our nine-year-old child were at the point of death, hypothetically, and the doctor said they're going to die, but we actually have something that we could be done, but it's super expensive. How expensive? It costs $450,000, $500,000, and you have exactly $450,000, $500,000. What parent in here worth their salt would say, man, I need to think about that? You wouldn't. What? Do it! That's my child. You're telling me they're going to die? Physical outranks financial. But spiritual outranks physical. You know how I know that? Because the man or the woman who's in hell right now, if they could come back, they would come back. But Listen, you can come back, but you're not going to have any eyes. I don't care. You're not going to be able to walk. I don't care. Just get me out of here because I want to get right with the Lord. But now it is too late for them. Paul says, I've got the gospel. It's how to have eternal life. It's how to have the best life in this life. Secondly, look at verse number 12. Paul, why do you want to go to Rome? That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I think sometimes people think this. Preachers give to the congregation. You know what Paul says? Preachers receive from the congregation. Few things are more encouraging for me as a Christian school teacher, as a pastor, as when someone says, and I, got, I, I, I get an email every now and then like, hey, I'm just letting you know I needed that. I'm studying further in what you're putting out there. But I'm following up. This was useful. This was timely. Man, it means everything. You know what else? It goes beyond that. Your faith encourages me when I'm challenged by your faith. Just this week, they're sitting here right now. Not just a volunteer. They do a lot of volunteer, but literally they get a little bit of something from our church for what they do. I didn't hear it directly, but my wife had a lady who works with this person in our church, and apparently she just kept talking on and on and on about this person's Christian walk and how in the office how they really are that stable person and that godly person and how when everybody else is doing this and saying that, they're never involved in that, and they're always the one that's just the salt, the light. I heard that, and I was like, Jeff, man, you live in a little Christian bubble this guy's out there doing it in the Christian, in, in the secular workforce, and I know that's hard. And so his faith challenged me. Paul says, I want to give to you, but I want to get from you. Verse number 13. 
Paul says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you in order that I may reap some harvest among you. Reap a harvest. Paul's not describing, hey, I need to come by. I want y'all to put me up in the Hyatt, take care of my meals, do me a healthy love offering, and I'm going to do some jam-up sermons for about a week. We'll have a week of meetings. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I want to come there. I spent a year and a half in Corinth. Paul says, I've spent three years in Ephesus. I want to come to Rome, and I want to invest my life so that we see some spiritual fruit. I read something from John MacArthur this week that really challenged me. May not you, but it challenged me. He writes this, Paul's ministry was an unending quest for spiritual fruit. That's what he was after. His preaching, teaching, and writing were not ends in themselves. I need to read that last sentence again. Paul's preaching and teaching and his writing were not ends in themselves. I preached. I taught. I wrote the truth. You know what what he's saying? That's all fine. That's just a, a method, a means to get spiritual fruit. What is the spiritual fruit? Character, Christian character. Here's what encourages people in the ministry. When they see people under them, wow, they have love. They have joy. They have peace. Long-suffering. They are reacting spiritually. They are acting spiritually. They have conduct. They're actually winning people to Christ. Hey, you want to make my year? You want to make my year? With or without coming out Wednesday night, but it's not too late to come out Wednesday night. You say, I don't know what to tell unsaved people. I got somebody I need to witness to. Come Wednesday night. We had our biggest group yet on Wednesday night. But you'll make my year if you come up and say, hey, listen, I led somebody to Christ. That stuff you've been teaching us, it works. I I, I learned it. I worked on it. And I prayed and I prayed. And it took two or three times. But they actually got saved and they're coming to church with me. That's fruit. That's what Paul's after. Paul says, I've purposed in my heart, verse number 13. But thus far I've been prevented. You ever been there? Paul says, I have all these wonderful purposes. I want to mutually encourage each other. I want to impart spiritual gifts. I want to see fruit. But here's the only problem. God's not letting me go. Some have said the devil hindered Paul. I don't think so. I think this is Acts 16. Watch this. From your perspective, Paul's in Antioch of Syria. He launches out on the second missionary journey, hitting here, hitting here. Everything's according to plan. This is the point. We're going to go down to Ephesus. 300,000 people down there. That makes sense. I need to go start a church in Ephesus. Only problem is the Holy Spirit says no. What? No, that's the plan. Second missionary journey, Paul and Silas, we're going to go start a church in Ephesus. No, you're not either. Okay, well, we're going up to uh, Pontus in Bithynia, Galatia. We're going up into these areas, and I'm going to start, no, you're not. Well, if we can't do that, we can't do that, you just keep walking. And he keeps on walking, eventually he comes over to the Aegean Sea. Lord, I'm at the end of Asia. Then leave Asia. And the Holy Spirit sends him a message, gives him a Macedonian call, and he goes over and he starts a church in Philippi and Corinth and Thessalonica. You know what Paul's saying? God kept closing the door because he had something else. I don't know where you guys are at. I've had doors closed on me. I've had good intentions. Did you notice this week, Deanna, do you know what Thursday's date was? She knows what I'm talking about. I can't give you all the backstory. January 19th, I was a little nervous. January 19th, 2015, we had a hopeful door closed. January 19th, 2016, 
We had a door that we had been heavily involved in for a long time, closed. Thursday was January 19th, and I'm like, Lord, what you going to do? I was so glad when it went by uneventful. I really was. Hindrances from the Lord in our life can mean no. No. I'm not going to let you do that. It can mean later. Lord, I really have this great desire. I want to do this. And God says, no, that's not what I have for you. Or not right now. You're not ready or they're not ready. Someone once said, few things are as powerful as, a, as an idea whose time has come. You're not ready or they're not ready later. Or God may be a little version of those, both of those. I've got something different. It's kind of like that, but I've got something different. It is my plan. Guys, I'm going to tell you, stay surrendered. You say the door just closed and I really have these good intentions. If the Lord put that in your heart, he will open the door when it is time. Lastly, Paul, a missionary with passion. Verse number 14. Paul says, I'm under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. I'm under obligation. Those of you who grew up on the King James with me, Anybody remember how that says it? I am, starts with a D, anybody? I am debtor. Paul says, I am a debtor. Paul, why do you want to go to Rome? Because I'm a debtor. To the Greeks who see themselves as smarter than everyone else, that doesn't mean everyone in the Roman Empire was Greek, but many of them had been affected by the Greek culture. They're cultured, sophisticated, educated. Paul says, I'm called to take the gospel to them, but I'm also called to take the gospel to the unsophisticated, uneducated, uncultured. I've seen a few things. I have a desire for, I like paintings, I cannot draw. I like paintings for some reason, certain ones. I never buy them. I'm always the guy that goes and looks, and Deanna's like, just, just buy one. But I've never had Earl Grey tea. He's not very sophisticated. I know. You know what Paul says? I'm called to the ones who think they're wise and the one who thinks they're foolish. You're like, yeah, but... Man, there's some that are very educated and others are not. And there's kind of a big difference. Can I tell you something? Because this book here deals with the gospel and eternity and souls. It, there really is no difference because we're all born lost. We're all born spiritually dead. And so what Paul is saying is I'm called to everyone. Let me read what I typed out last week. This is for Grace View. May God help us to never pass a judgment on the worth of a soul based merely on their attractiveness, their achievements, or their, or, or their possessions. May the wealthiest in our community feel absolutely welcome in our church. I hope the wealthiest man, if the wealthiest people in our, our county were to come in, I hope they'd say, man, those people are really, really nice. And I hope the poorest in our county always feel welcomed in our services. That's what I honest, that's the church I want to be a part of. Now, the preaching of the Word of God may cause some to feel uncomfortable. They may not be comfortable. 
I know I wasn't comfortable when I was nine years old on Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night when I finally got saved at Bible camp in 1979. I was very uncomfortable and no preacher ever needs to have as his goal. What can I do to just make everybody comfortable? No, preach the Bible and it will make lost people like I was then uncomfortable. And people that have sin in their life like I do sometimes when I hear preaching, man, that's making me uncomfortable. That's, that's fine. That's a gift from God. But I hope they always feel welcome. Catch that. Might get uncomfortable, but you're welcome. And praise the Lord if you're willing to keep coming back and face that. We want you here. Verse 15. Paul says, so I am eager. Again, it can be read this way. I am ready to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Two things you need to know about what made Paul eager. What, what qualifies this? Not so much what made him eager. Paul says, I am in debt. I have an obligation. Ladies and gentlemen, if tonight when you lay your head down about 2 or 3 in the morning, there's an orange glow outside your light and you poke the window open and you see through the blinds, your neighbor's house is literally on fire, you are under obligation. You owe it to them. You call 911, and if you go out there and all of them are in the yard crying, okay, you've, you, you're okay there. But if you don't know, and you, I don't see any of them, they may be in there asleep, you owe it to them to do the best you can. <laughs> Wake up! Grace View, we owe a debt spiritually to this entire community and to the world we live in to take them the truth. We owe it. I don't know about you, I don't like owing people. Paul felt this, if I owe you, I'm going to pay it. Verse 15, I'm eager. Not the ladies. How many men are within a year of 60 or you're over 60? Raise your hand. Not the ladies. Unless you are comfortable, that's fine. And we have a few ladies that fit that category. Listen. Paul was about 60 years old and he had already been in the ministry about 22, 23 years. You ready? This blows my mind. A man that was about 60 had been doing the same job for 20 some years. Some of you have been doing the same job for 20 some years or you've retired from, oh yeah, I've worked there 25 years. That's Paul. You say, that was me. I worked at the plant 25 years and now I'm thankful I'm retired. How many times in those 25 years did you wake up on Monday morning? Monday. Yes! Monday! Hardly ever. Paul? Yes! There's more to tell. Paul, man, you're getting a little old. You're 60, but you're an old 60. No offense. You've been stoned and beaten and shipwrecked. You've got the body of like an 80-year-old man. But I'm ready to preach. Man, I want to go to Rome. I'm ready to preach. That's Paul. He's ready. How about you? If God were to talk to you right now, you say, Brother Jeff, it's like 12 o'clock. If God talks to you this, Paul preached till midnight, by the way. I'm talking, he's ready. He literally preached till midnight. After writing this, he goes over to Ephesus, not quite in the town, preaches till midnight. A boy falls out, three floors, dies. He goes, raises him from the dead. Now where was I? And he goes back preaching some more. This guy's so ready. If God were to show you something, or if God were to whisper to you right now, are you ready to respond Paul says I am ready would you bow your heads just for a moment this is an important time it'll be a brief time how's your prayer life let's talk about that how's your prayer life really evaluate 
Paul had a great prayer life. Can we be like Paul, Grace View? And as the Lord's talking to you right now, you say, you know what, I need to, I need to get some things right. I need to pray better, pray more, more consistently, with more intercession. I need to pray in Jesus' name more. I need to pray with more thanksgiving. Are you ready to respond? I'm wondering here, who, who honestly would say, I need to be imparting spiritual truths in the lives of people. Lord, I am ready to do that. Who's here ready to say, God, I don't want to just serve you. I want to serve you with my spirit. I want to give you my best. I, I have a position and I've been doing it. But Lord, you know it's been, you've been getting my leftovers. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to accept that anymore because that's not acceptable to you. God, I want to give you my best. Paul wanted to go to Rome. But the door kept closing. I wonder what Christian here this morning would say, wow, God's telling me and reminding me I just need to surrender to his closed door in my life. He is sovereign. And Lord, I didn't even like what you let happen. And I still struggle with it. But God, you are wise and you're good. And I surrender to your preventive will in my life. And Lord, that good thing you put in me when you're ready and you open that door, now I'm going to be faithful in what you've given me to be. Christian, just deal with the Lord right now. Here's my question. The Roman church was well known for its faith. We will be known by the reputation that we build. My question is, will our community see Jesus in Graceview, in the individual people of Graceview? For that to happen this morning, I ask you, is anything hindering seeing Christ in your life if so today and right now is the time to get it right Father we do pray to you in Jesus name God we don't have any business talking to you on our own Lord before you right now I'm, I thank you God that you're revealing yourself to me and let me talk to you thank you for being in this room and Lord I ask you as we come to you in the name of Jesus, that you will let us, as we emphasized last week, let us walk out of here clean and fresh. And if anyone has anything that needs reconciled between you and them, or in their prayer life, in investing, God, in serving with their spirit, Lord, in just being pure, I pray that you will reveal that and let us claim your promise of forgiveness and cleansing that we sang about earlier. someone needs to hear and say I'm actually ready today to get saved I need to talk with somebody God give them the courage to come and step out wave me down come up to me